there's a lot of correlation between that and, and what I do, the same thing, you know, because I'll create the blends, me sitting on the, in the factory floor, you know, I grab, you know, a half a leaf of this one, a quarter leaf of that one, I put it in a certain place in the cigar, and then it's very hard, like you, to kind of make, get that message across to the buncher and say, no, 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 this is what I mean by a quarter leaf, and you grab it from here, and you place it here, and it has to be placed here in the cigar, and you rely on them doing it right when you're not there. You know what I mean? You got to sear that fish the right way. You got to roll that cigar the right way. It's, it's a, it's a fucking challenge, man. Welcome to the next episode of Pancom Podcasts, featuring Nick not saying a fucking word for an hour and a half. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I hope that's that's the way I'd like it to go. But chances are, I'm gonna have to step in. I don't know, man. At the, at at this point. At this point, the way that you're causing havoc with all of our former guests on Twitter, I don't know if Willie's going to like you after today, man. Man, Willie, to fill you in on what he means, um, and I want to apologize to our listeners and the world, on our last episode of the podcast, uh, Miami Herald food editor Carlos Frias... uh, Sandwich editor. uh, Right. Well, everything is a sandwich, so yeah. No, everything's Uh, not a sandwich. Was given a platform to spread his uh, wild theories that... Everything from a hot dog to an empanada to a dumpling is a sandwich. And I want and then he published an article in the Miami Herald's website making all of these same wild claims. I am shocked that it made it past whatever layers of editing it has to make it past. Uh, but apologies to everyone, Carlos, your jihad on the English language uh, is not appreciated, and I regret my role. In uh, in helping you propagate these myths about oh, sandwiches, man. but this welcome is... to Pancom Podcast. <laughs> I am Nick Jimenez, joined as usual by eighth grade basketball MVP and the owner of the all-time Averett University record for most croquetas fried by a defensive lineman, Michael Beltran. That is correct. On this episode, we have a special guest who we would have invited even. If his employer were not paying for a sponsorship on this podcast, that's a good precursor. I like it. Is that. A, it is. I want to make. That, I want to do this qualifier because we would have wanted him here anyway. Yeah, Willie Herrera. Willie is the master blender at Drew Estate Cigars. Uh, Drew Estate is a company that uh, I have been fortunate to have some kind of a relationship in one way or another with for quite a long time as. Uh, as our more observant and astute listeners know, uh, in my pre Pancom podcast life, I was the senior editor at Cigar Snob Magazine. So uh, Willie um, is also, I think, a lot of what this podcast is so much about. Uh, because before, Willie, you were the master blender at Drew Estate. I'm going to take the liberty here of kind of asking the first question and offering Willie a chance to introduce himself, even though we just recorded a sponsored segment where we did some of this stuff. Uh, Willie, you uh, were working at El Titan de Bronce, which is not just a factory in Miami. It's uh, one of a very, very small group of world-class factories in the United States that are actually distributing their cigars all over. A lot of people, I think, especially tourists, will come to Miami and go to a lot of places that I think are a little tourist trappy. Uh, 
But <laughs> I think that uh, it's it's basically Titanga Naganorsa and Doral are the the two factories that are making cigars out of Miami that people are enjoying on and are in the same tier as anything that's distributed anywhere in the world. Uh, so I guess I'll lead before I hand it off to Mike to do all the things uh, with just kind of give us you know some of your history and and what you know, the, the Titang story and how you ended up in your current position. So, man, it, you know, it all started for me at, at the factory. It was kind of like by chance, you know. So my wife's family has that factory. Uh, like I said earlier, they, they've been uh, there since 1995. And so it was my wife's grandfather, the wife, and the daughter, which is a male figure there in the factory. And so <clears throat> he, he, he got sick. I was in banking at the time. I have, I have been in the, in the banking field probably about seven and a half years at that point. And, um, you know, they needed a male figure because Little Havana at that time, you know, after 3, 4.30, getting to 5 o'clock, wasn't the safest place to be. And they were open till 6 o'clock. And so I took a week from vacation uh, from work and I worked the factory. And dude, by the end of that week, you know, I just fell in love with the whole concept, you know, the, the people you dealt with, the conversations you had. It was just a different animal, man. It was very different. I had always been a cigar smoker. You know, I've been smoking cigars probably since the age of 15 or 16 uh, that I would buy at the cafeteria there uh, off of Flagler and, and 70, uh, 74th Avenue, I think it is. And, uh, you know, I buy my, my fumas there when I get my dough to go fishing in the canals and I'd smoke cigars, you know, because it always intrigued me because I would go to my, my aunt's house and her husband, you know, always, had, I think that man smoked with a cigar in his mouth. And so that smell, that aroma was always in the house and I loved it. And um, so I picked up a cigar because I wanted to, I wanted to, to, to have that smell around me. And so like, I, you know, I, I was 15, 16 years old, uh, get on my bike, go to the place, go back the, uh, the, the ball of dough before they put it in the oven to make the Cuban bread. And uh, I go riding bike all over the canals, smoking my cigar, man. I thought I was the shit and I was loving it. And so, you know, that's pretty much how it all started for me. Uh, at the end of that week of working there, I quit my job, put in my two weeks notice, and I started in the factory. And I really, to, I, at that point is when I started to learn about the industry. Up to that point, you know, I was smoking Fumas um, when I started. Then I, I slowly graduated up. Then I was buying cigars at shops. And, and I knew what I liked. I knew what type of cigar I liked, what type of profile I liked, what kind of strength I wanted. But I didn't know anything else. I didn't know the difference of wrappers. I didn't know different fillers. I didn't know different binders. I didn't know the names of different Vitolas. I knew absolutely nothing, man. I just knew what I liked to smoke. And so I started in the factory. Now, at that time, we had two cigars we made. We made a Connecticut shade and a natural shade. And neither one were cigars that I liked. So, you know, for, for weeks and weeks and weeks, I was smoking these cigars that I would buy at shops. And, uh, you know, over time, the old man, you know, would give me the dirty look, you know, why are you smoking this? Why are you smoking that? Look how many cigars you have here. Why are you spending money? So on and so forth. So I'm like, man, I really like what I'm doing here. 
but I can't keep dealing with this old man. So I started then getting the rollers to come up with different things for me to smoke to see if I like that. And that went on for a little while, but the rollers get paid by how many cigars they roll a day. So a lot of these guys, you know, a lot of them had second jobs, so they needed to leave by a certain time. And, you know, they knew they came in at seven by three o'clock. They had to be done and they had to have their honey cigars or 125 cigars made for that day. And then they were off to go do their second job. So you could imagine I'm hounding these guys. Hey, try this wrapper and try this and let's add a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that. It, it became an issue as well because now they were staying late or they weren't finishing their quota every day. So I said, okay, the only thing I could do here is learn how to make a cigar. So I taught myself how to roll cigars. I taught myself, you know, how to do the bunch, uh, a right bunch. So it wasn't too packed that you couldn't, that you couldn't draw or that it was too loose that you wouldn't even get lit. And I just taught myself how to make a cigar, man. Then I learned how to put the wrapper on and, uh, by the point I was able to make a, a smokable cigar, then I just went to town, man. Every day was just blending and blending and putting stuff together to see how it burns, see how it tasted, see, see what color ash it would give, what was the aroma like when you'd smoke it. And, you know, it just, it was a, a, an avalanche. After that, man, it was, you know, every day, two, three, four different things I was putting together, putting in the cool room, and then because because we're in Little Havana, you know, and you have so many people coming by, uh, whether on layovers to go on a cruise ship or layovers to take another flight, or they were driving down to go down to Key West, you know, a lot of people stop in the factory. So a lot of these people became my, my guinea pigs, you know, you had a bunch of people that, you know, they were buying their cigar for, for, for their boss, or they were buying a cigar for their brother, or, you know, whomever. But then you had a lot of people that were asking certain questions that I would pick up on, you know, oh, what's the wrapper? Oh, what binder? You know, this, that, and the other. And those guys in my mind are like, oh, they know a little bit more about cigars. Let me give them something that I worked on so I could get feedback because up to that point, you know, I knew I liked it, but I wanted to get feedback from, you know, actual consumers. And uh, that's, pr that's pretty much how it started for me, man. Uh, from there, it, you know, the word got out. I started creating blends for us. Um, people then were coming to Miami to have something made in, in a factory in Miami uh, from a boutique factory. And so I started working on brands, new brands, existing brands, uh, you know, extending lines for, for companies that were already out there. And, you know, it just took off from there, man. I've been, uh, I've been lucky. I've been lucky. Then in 2000 and around 2009, late 2008, John approached me. And that's when we started talks about, you know, what I was doing, what I thought about Drew Estate, what my plans were with Old Titan, so on and so forth. And, you know, and finally he asked me, what do you think about joining Drew Estate and kind of bringing what you do in your family's factory into Drew Estate and kind of expand the, the traditional side of cigars for Drew Estate and be that, that first, you know, Cuban influence into Drew Estate in Nicaragua and uh, you know talked it over with the family and before I was done they got my they had my bags packed and said all right when are you leaving so <laughs> in 2010 I, I joined Drew Estate man I moved to Nicaragua for about a year and a half a year and a half I was uh, flying uh, I would either leave on a Monday morning or a Sunday afternoon uh, 
come back home. My family was here or is here. I will come back either Friday afternoon or Saturday mornings. And that went on for a year and a half. This episode of Pancong Podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Drew Estate and Master Blender Willie Herrera, who are proud to introduce the Herrera Esteli Miami Cigar. Crafted by Level 9 Cuban Rollers at El Titan de Bronce in Calle Ocho, the complete Herrera Esteli Miami line is expertly rolled with a lavish Ecuadorian Habano Oscuro wrapper over a rich Ecuadorian Sumatran binder with select fillers from the Dominican Republic and Nicaragua. The new look of Herrera Esteli Miami features a black and gold color tone and is available in the following five Vitolas. Nick, tell everyone, what is a Vitola? A Vitola, and by the way, I would like everyone listening to this ad to know, this is the first take, and we're doing very well. <laughs> I am shocked. I have no idea what's going on, and I have to say it's because of the an- anxious coffee that Nick has made. Oh, man. Just wait for the poops. Uh <laughs> A Vitola, the term Vitola refers to the sizes of the cigars, right? So some of the common ones that people hear are Robusto and Corona and mm. Churchill. Uh, those are all terms for Vitolas. The five Vitolas that Just, the, I want to interrupt you because it's not always about the size of the cigar. That's true. It is the type of cigar. So tell them. That's true. So the five the five Vitolas that, uh, that Herrera Tele comes in are Herrera Tele Miami Robusto Grande. Five by fifty. Should we go with like uh, anglicized pronunciations? Is it a, for because your name is on the sandwich? Is this a robusto grande or a robusto grande? I mean, it depends. How do you feel like our listeners in Salina would feel? I want them to feel like it's robusto grande. Bueno, that's a good vitola. So robusto grande, which is a five by fifty. By the way, for the uninitiated, five by fifty means it is five inches long and fifty sixty fourths of an inch in diameter. So uh, close to 5'6". So just you have p- painting a picture here in your mind. Robusto Grande, which is a 5x50. Toro Especial, which is 6x52. Lonsdale Deluxe, a 6 by 44 Piramide Fino, 6 by 54 Short Corona Gorda, which is 5 and 3 quarters by 48 This cigar is exclusive to Drew Diplomat Retailers. For more information, you can visit Drew Estate. Dot com that's d r e w estate dot com or follow them at, at drew estate cigar on Instagram Facebook and Twitter Mike you had this cigar I know that you're a Drew Estate fan I am a Drew Estate fan I'm very glad that they've come on as a part I, as a general rule I want to make sure that to the extent that we can and we've pulled this off so far we're only partnering with people and taking money from people whose products we're actually into. Like Santos. Uh, absolutely like Santos Sangria. Santos Sangria. I, I, I actually have told them, like, I'll, listen, I'll give you an ad because I'm out of Santos Sangria. Right. Uh, I have to say that um, after going through this ad, one of the things that sticks out to me the most is how very much I feel like this is softcore Cinemax porn at 11 o'clock. Explain to everyone a rich Ecuadorian <laughs> Sumatran binder how that doesn't sound... Very sexual. Listen, I, I don't know that the people at Drew Estate would object to our <laughs> selling not. them as a sexual product. Yeah. Uh, but in case anybody's curious about what that even means, so Ecuadorian Sumatran binder. So I, Sumatran is not a style of... That's the thing. Of sexual style. It's not a sexual style. Got it. 
I mean, although it depends, some people do sexual things with their cigars. All right. Listen, you open this door. Man, we fucked this ad up already. <laughs> Jeez. No, but, uh, but Ecuadorian and Sumatran. That might sound confusing to people who know their geography because Ecuador and Sumatra are both places. It is a Sumatran binder, meaning that it is a variety of tobacco. Uh, named for Sumatra, but it was grown in Ecuador. And you see this a lot in cigars where you have a an Ecuadorian Connecticut wrapper, uh, which means that it's a uh, Connecticut tobacco variety, but grown in Ecuador. People who listen to this podcast are going to hear a smoke. Pretty soon, we're going to have Willy Herrera, the master blender, on as a guest on the podcast. Uh, if you're curious about cigars, that is definitely one you want to tune in for. I have to say that I, I smoke a Pretty good wide range of cigars, and I, I gravitate towards Drew Estate a lot. I mm-hmm. think that the consistent, how consistent and good those cigars are is, like, very rare. And we've talked about that a lot. Like, you know, sometimes you'll get a cigar, and then it'll be great, and then you go back to get it, like, six months later, and it's just not as good. Right. I've never had that experience with Drew Estate stuff, and it's like, I, I don't know. I've I've been a fan for a long time, way before they started paying me to say I was a fan. <laughs> right. Way before. No, it's true. Yeah. It's true. No, we've been to cigar shops together more than once. You've pointed out Drew Estate things. But that's what I I I smoked that, and that's awesome. The red label uh, Herrera Estili, I smoke every week. Yeah, yeah. Every week, it'll be the first, like, you know, when I go to one of these places, I'll go, that's the first thing I grab, and then I'll go into something else second if I decide to smoke two or three that day. So I'm glad you brought that up because I want to make a distinction here. You you referenced the the one that has the the red red label label on it. Red and gold, yeah. And that's the core Herrera Estili. Which is made in Esteli. Esteli is uh, the Nicaraguan sort of capital of cigar making. The Esteli Miami that we'd been talking about is actually made, and this is referenced in the copy that we read, but El Titan de Bronce in, in Little Havana. Uh, so this is also a cigar that you want to go after. And I remember I, I uh, passed this along to one of our friends in the uh, social media sphere who was putting together a list of local businesses. And I said, ah. like, hey, you might want to check out El Titan de Bronce. Uh, and El Titan in Little Havana is not just in Miami, but in the country, one of a very, very small number of American cigar factories that actually distribute all over the place. So it's cool that, you know, uh, that this is a product that people everywhere have access to. Um, and and it comes from a small factory in Miami that has a, a very good reputation, not just all over the country, but all over the world. Somebody gave me one of these Miami ones for Christmas. So it was delicious. Merry Christmas. So, again, this cigar is exclusive to Drew Estate, uh, to Drew Diplomat Retailers. For more information, DrewEstate.com or follow them, Drew Estate Cigar on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We expect sales to go up 20% after this ad. I might cut that out. (laughs) You know, what I find very interesting from that whole thing is... um, it only took you a week working in that factory to know that that's what you wanted to change your life to be. Oh, man. It, it, it's, you know, you go from people pissed off all the time in the bank. You know, why is there a check hold? Why did my check bounce? What's this fee? What's this? What? It was always a problem. It was, it was never a happy transaction with all these people that you would see. And then all of you flip that to the to the factory, and people are happy. You have great conversation. You're smoking cigars. It was just so different, man. It was just so so different. And it, yeah, within a week, man, I'm like, no, this is what I want to do. <laughs> I don't know nothing about it, but I want to get involved in this. But I, I think it also goes to show, like sometimes when you really love something and it's and it's for you, you know, it it quickly 
like hits like you know when i started working in restaurants i was uh, 18 years old and you know i got a job at an applebee's and i was like man i nothing else really makes sense but this makes complete sense i was a terrible fucking student i did bad in a lot of things i did a lot of bad things also and then it was like man i came into this weird environment of being in an applebee's of all places and it just it made sense to me you know and it was like all right cool so i'm just gonna like forget everything else and this is what i'm gonna do now and it was like all right cool everybody told me i was fucking nuts everybody my my coach my college coach, my my parents obviously were not pleased. Um, I mean, so many things. And I was like, fuck it, man. This is what I, I, for some reason, this just makes sense to me. So I dropped everything and I just left and I started cooking full time. And then it's like that. Like, I sucked. I was, <laughs> I was so bad. I didn't know what I was doing. And then, I, you know, I took a couple classes too, which really didn't teach me much. And then, but then I started working every day and every day and every day and it was kind of like you know you do a creation you continue to create and then you become like for me I there was a long point in my career that I was obsessed with creating things and then giving them to people to try and it's like oh what do you think is that what do you think about this what if we did it like this and then again you would know those people that really know like for me food and for you cigars and it was like and they were like, oh, no, but what if you did it with, uh, what if you added foie or what if you added caviar? And I was like, all right, now that's what the fuck I'm talking about. Like, now we can now we can get a little fucking weird, and I'm about that. So it just, like, it really, like, it just drives you in a different place, you know? Like, everything, I think everything at the end of the day, obviously, is a business, you know? Um, you guys run a business. I run a business. But at the same time, you know, there's a lot of like passion and like love behind that that drives the business to go into a direction that is special to you and is special to us. You know what I'm saying? That's what makes you unique and what makes us unique. That's what makes shit good. Yeah, if you don't have the drive, man, because it's definitely whether it's food, the restaurant industry, cigar industry, if you don't have the passion for it and you don't have the love for it and it's something you could just do day in and day out, it's real tough to make it, man, because, you know, it's something that, you know, like you, you know, a lot of these cigars that I was doing when I started early on in, in, in the factory were awful. I mean, awful. And yeah. still today, you know, I put stuff together that I think is going to taste a certain way and the tobaccos just clash and it doesn't taste like you think it should taste based on, you know, when it's on paper. Uh, because right. maybe the wrapper is not working with the binder, or maybe that binder's clashing with some of the fillers, or maybe there's a seed type in there that's clashing with the other seed types, you know, and you have to love it. And what happens is then you dissect that. And then the same with you with food. Okay, no, it tasted this. All right, why is it? Let's change this. Let's take this out. Very similar to cigars, man. And, and when you're creating a blend or you're creating a dish, uh, I assume it's 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 very similar. Not not everything's going to taste great when you put it together. Not every idea is a good idea. Yeah, I say I I and I tell myself that all the time too. Like not not every idea is a good idea. You could try the idea, you know, but it's good to have. I I mean, and I I don't know how it would be for you, but for me, I get into creative ruts now more than I used to because now, like you know, I run a business too, so the creativity and the functionality like often clash and then one suffers and the other one doesn't and you go back and forth but you can have a ton of ideas and you got to put them down and you got to try them out and say is this a good idea i don't know yet we have to try it all out so it's just like um 
it's an interesting dynamic how uh, creatives, no matter what field you're in, they're all very similar. There was something I was thinking about when you were talking about like the entering of Drew Estate. How did that, you know, being the first Cuban influence into that company, you know, we talk a lot about um, kind of the Cuban American ideal, where the Cuban culture has gone, uh, where it's going, where it was. Obviously, it's like a big fucking thing. Do you take, you know, I guess cigars is such a Cuban thing, right? Like, it's crazy. Like, the people who don't know about cigars, how they talk about, like, Cuban cigars and how they talk about cigars in general, it's such a Cuban thing. How do you implement that very Cuban influence into the cigar world that is already so strong? Like, bueno, a Cuban cigar is a Cuban cigar, you know what I mean? But this is a not a Cuban cigar, but it's a cigar made by a Cuban person, you know? So it's like... Very interesting dynamic, no? Well, you you the first thing you gotta do is you you gotta be accepted by the people. You gotta be accepted by your by the team, the people running the factory in Nicaragua in this case. And so, you know, how I went about that <clears throat> when I, while I was there that year and a half, you know, I wasn't I wasn't the guy pointing a finger, okay, hey, use this, get this, let uh, put this wrapper, no no, do this. No, I was in the middle of the floor sitting down in, in one of the benches surrounded by all the other rollers uh, in the factory floor. So, you know, I quickly kind of earned the respect. You know, I was sweeping up my station. I was cleaning up all the, all the shit around me. I was going up to the back to pick up my tobacco, just like everybody else. So people are like, damn, I thought this guy was, you know, I had Hancho here. No, this guy's a regular dude just like us. He's just, you know, twice our size. You know what I'm saying? But um, that, that was the first step. Was for, for the people who are unaware, by the way, because I know Zoom kind of kills some of us. Uh, Willie is a big dude. Oh yeah, he's a very tall man. Oh yeah. When, there was a there was a point in time at Cigar Snob Magazine that we toyed with the idea, and I don't think we ever we never did it, of uh, doing an, a whole like several pages of like what if we put together sports teams, and Willie was like on every starting lineup. <laughs> of the cigar industry sports teams. I don't know if you're good at any sports, but for sure, just based on your your frame alone, it was like, you got to have Willie in there. It's like Willie, Tony Gomez maybe. Uh, hey, man, it, it, high school were the, were the golden years, bro. I'm not good for anything yeah. anymore, bro. Those are the golden years, man. Football, basketball, I was all about it, man. <laughs> Talking about high schools, I see that you sent your kid to Christopher Columbus High School for all our people in Salina, Kansas. That is the best high school in Dade County, just so everyone knows. Yeah, yeah man. Sophomore this year, uh, going into his uh, junior year, uh, he should be starting O-line next year. Oh, for my uh, for our former Pancom podcast uh, guest, Jason Hill. Yes, so that's that's his coach. Yeah, that's one of my uh, my lifelong friends. No kidding, man. Yeah, we played we played football together in high school and college. No kidding, man. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. cool. Well, if he's listening uh, again, sorry for always bothering you. I'm always texting him. Hey, man, what about the schedule? This and what about the schedule? Oh, bother bother him, please, because he's been bothering me for 20 plus years. So bother him, text him for 14 hours a day, and tell him that I told you it's a good idea. <laughs> oh man so yeah dude it's uh you know one of the best things we ever did you know my my younger uh will end up there as well he's four years younger so 
got a little bit of gold still. But um, but yeah, man, you know, it's uh, so far so good, man. No no complaints. That's right. Sending him so to the proper I, school. It's good I, I start. Wanna, <laughs> uh, your name is on the sandwich. So I'll let all this slide. Yeah, good. Uh, slide. Yeah. Slide. That's, me being, that's me being a man for others. Yeah, you're definitely a man for yeah. others. So, uh, Willie, just in case cigar things come up again, because I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast uh, are already into food to some degree, and so they hear certain things and they have a bit of context. We don't have to go into the full like safari or barn smoker style spiel, but for the person who maybe smokes once a year or at weddings or whatever, you know, because we're talking about, well, how do you do this and, and the creative aspect, talk about like what is the process? And where do you have room to play around with what you're doing as a blender? Because I think a lot of people may not be even, uh, you know, aware of the basics of the construction of a cigar and, and where a blender is making decisions and where in the process. I had muted you by accident. Go ahead. Oh, man. So you always look producer, at what, huh? what, what, what you have in your portfolio, you know, uh, up to the point of COVID, you know, I was in Nicaragua in the factory every month. Every month I would spend a week there. Uh, in that week, you know, obviously overseeing um, existing production of, of, of cigars that we make or currently making, uh, production of cigars that we're working on to release later in the future. Um, but I was always working on new things, you know, uh, Blends with, with samples of wrapper, blends with, you know, different samples of, of fillers that we were getting on uh, in the factory. Um, so always working on stuff that would add to, what, to, to our portfolio, you know. So, for example, you know, I had been working on stuff using uh, Brazilian Madafina. And when the, when the opportunity came to... to add a new cigar to the Herrera lineup, you know, I looked at what we had and I said, oh man, well, we don't have anything with Matafina. And that's something that would, would, would be different, a, a different style cigar, a different, uh, a new addition to the portfolio. So we had Brawley, we had Mexican, we have Habana, we had Connecticut, now we have Brazil. So I kind of go about every time, you know, we're looking to introduce something new, not only for it to be to look different, but you want it to smoke different. You want it to be very different uh, from what's already in your lineup so that well, two things, you could capture a new smoker or you could add something new to the rotation of an existing smoker. And that's kind of our goal. Uh, that's my goal always to create new and different uh, smoking experiences and that's one of the great things about Drew Estate. You know, we have a cigar pretty much for everybody, man, from the infused segment to the non-traditional segment to traditional. And then within traditional, you have from the milder stuff all the way to the full body, body stuff. And so you know, my goal is always to create something new, something different for two people, the existing smoker, something new for them, as well as maybe for a new smoker, for, you know, something that they're looking specifically Four that we don't have already in our in our in our portfolio. You know what I what I find interesting and it's something that the, actually the both of you can speak on much more than I can is like what is the cigar smoker like outside of Miami, right? Because I've only been outside of Miami a lot in one place when I was in Virginia, and um, I was the only person that ever smoked a cigar 
uh, at least in that part of the state, in the four years I was there. And it was just, it's like a very, my, in Miami, cigars are very much like part of like the culture, right? It's part of life. And I think uh, every, every person that smokes cigars, from me, I feel like everyone is very distinct and they have different likes and dislikes and whatever. But the cigar smoker outside of here, whether it be in, within the country or, or like around the world, what is the main difference from those people? Is it part of the culture like it is uh, here? Is it like, you know, are they a casual smoker or smokers? Do people believe in smoking cigars more elsewhere? I don't know. I feel like I, I just don't know anything about like how do you how do you approach that? Because there's so many different you're trying to feed so many different demographics and cultures and things as in for me i know my demographic is miami i know these are these are my people these are the people that are going to come eat my food how does it differentiate for like someone that's creating a cigar dude believe it or not outside of miami it's super strong man it's a super strong market um and i'll tell you for me in my opinion the biggest difference between miami smokers in miami and smokers outside of miami or else Let's call it outside of Florida. Um, you know, you have, it's, it's a younger generation, but you also have, you have, I don't know if the right word is cigar enthusiasts. These guys are online. They're in the blogs. They're, they're, they're in the chat rooms. They're looking for what's new. They're looking, you know, for stuff that's different. You have the fans, you have, it's just very, to me, it's always been very different. And I experienced that being in Miami, uh, in my family's factory, you know, um, it was a very different approach when I was outside and I would visit stores or call on stores outside of Miami, you know, in Miami, it's, you have, I think a little bit of an older crowd it you know they smoke what their dad smoked their dad smokes what the grandfather smoked i don't know man to me it's always been very different the market in miami or florida for that matter um just very different man uh i find the market up north or outside of let's call it north of orlando you know those are the guys that are online those are the guys that look at reviews they're asking questions. Yeah. What's the rapper? What's the this? Uh, it's just very different, man. So it's a very it's very strong, man. The the market up there. Those are the guys, you know, following you on Instagram, following you on on Facebook, reaching out to you, asking questions. It's a crazy. It's it's awesome, man. They, it's it's a really strong market, believe it or not, man. The I guess analogy, for lack of a better word, that I've tended to use. Uh, is that outside of South Florida, especially if we extend South Florida up into that, like, you know, Tampa Bay, Orlando area, all that central, whatever. But when you get into, like, Atlanta and almost all of Tennessee and Texas and California and all kinds of other places, I think people tend to approach cigars in much the same way that people approach craft beer. Like, there's this mentality of, like, I want to explore, I want to learn, I want to do this, I want to do that. Whereas here, it's like, Cigars are sold literally next to croquetas, so there isn't right. There isn't this built-in curiosity. Well, I, I think you made a good point. I was going to say I think here we take it for granted. Right, it, it's taken for granted. Like cigars are just part of life. It's like what we do. You can get one for ninety-nine cents. 
next to a black mouth. It's like it's not it's not the same. Like over there, it's like a, not a rarity, but it's just more. I don't know exotic and and it's it, there's a level of exotic but i think in some ways it's also like craft beer in that like you go to atlanta for example uh and you can't throw a rock without hitting a cigar lounge and there's all different tiers of cigar lounges you have the more exclusive ones and the more like just neighborhood cigar shop but it, it's not necessarily a difference of like the amount of consumption but what i always heard from you know cigar brand owners and sales guys and all that when I was working at Cigar Snob was that Miami was one of the most difficult markets to break into as a new brand because people were not curious. People had their loyalty and they were like, no, I found my cigar. And it, and it makes sense because when you grow up smelling cigar, smelling that gas station Padron or that bakery Padron or whatever from when you were five years old, of course, you, you develop that attachment in the same way as like you know, when you've been eating the same pastelito because somebody in your family brought it to your house every day, that's the style. That's your pastelito. That's the one that you want. That's your kind of croqueta. Outside of here, it's not that people smoke more or less, but it's it plays a different role in the culture. Um, but I think that's... A, but to your point, I, I think it um, there, there has to be a challenge there as a blender because it's exactly that. You're dealing with one portfolio that you have to find ways to cater to all of these different attitudes right. towards cigars. Yeah, you know, I, I actually, I watched a couple of interviews that you did with um, people outside of Florida and it, and it feels like that. It's like enthusiasts, card collectors, they collect comic books and they collect cigars, which is cool. I mean, you, you pay top dollar for that shit. So it's like, then they're paying good money for cigars and, and they're improving the culture, which I think is all about it. You know what I, I what I, I also I'll, find. I'll say, I'm sorry, but I just well, just to round out that thing, in in Miami and I, Willie, I would put you in this conversation, but I think the the peak example of this, and you tell me, you know, if you would agree with this, the the person that I would always point to was uh, Jose Orlando Padrón. When Jose Orlando Padrón, the late patriarch of the Padrón family, who I know had a great relationship with Drew Estate. Uh, would do events, the difference in the level of interest south and north of the Dade County line, north of the Dade County line, that man was a rock star. That man was like, grown men wanted him to sign their tits. Oh, yeah? <laughs> and here, Mega. it was like, you had, to, you had to lure people in with lechong, and, you know, and it's the same with everybody. It's not that anything about no, but him. But I, I also think Miami is an interesting market because there's there's so many fucking things happening here, right? Like, it's just so much, so much shit. Like, you can literally throw a rock and there's some fucking party that some numbnuts is going to want to go to. It's just, it, it's like, it's constant ADD. Here. Very happening. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah like, I, it's I like, think that has a lot to do with it, for sure. There's always something going on. You got the beach. You got the water. You got boating. You got... It's always something. You got the keys. Uh, you got the nightlife. You got the clubs. You know, maybe that plays a role. But I will say, though, man, you know, it is shifting. Um, and I yeah. think it's shifting because you're seeing more of that younger generation Us. smoking cigars. Yeah. And, you know, they have their groups. They got their buddies. They they smoke together. Um so it's definitely changing. It's it's night and day from when I was in my family's factory uh, in Little Havana, 
compared to how it is now. Um, like you were saying, Nick, earlier, you know, you would call a store. Yeah, I have a little factory in Miami. Who? What? Oh, no, it's okay. Thanks. You would call up north. And, oh, what? You, in Miami? You're making a cigar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Send samples for sure. It was very different. But it is, it is changing. Uh, and I think it's because you're getting more. Well, one is social media, right? You have these younger uh, generations of, of cigar smokers. They're tech savvy. They're on social media. They're posting what they're smoking. They're getting the word out for you, which back in the day when I was here uh, in my factory here, you know, social media, I think you had, what, MySpace or something else right after that. It was nowhere oh. what, what it is now. We should have him on the podcast. It was, uh, it was different times, man, but it's definitely, it's definitely growing now. It's very different now. Two things. We should definitely try to get Tom on the podcast from MySpace. I think that's like a really good get. I, I appreciate you for mentioning that because I think Nick needs to start working. You know, you need to earn your money, Nick. You need to yeah. get there. <laughs> I, and also, it goes back, like, just talking about, like, the culture, like, the Cuban culture in Miami and how it's perceived elsewhere. I'm very close to the Guerra family, the family that owns La, La Caja China. And I remember I was talking to a young, and this was probably a few years ago, maybe more than a few Oh, yeah, Emma. Best way to get over a hangover is just more alcohol. Hair, hair of yeah. the dog, right? Hair of, hair the, of the dog. Hair, Petey's hair. Yeah. Um, he told me, he was like, you know, 80% of our sales, it was some crazy number like that. It could have been more or less, a little bit less, but he was like 80% of our sales are out of South Florida. So you're talking about all over the country, which I found fascinating, right? Because the Cajachina, the whole thing is our thing. But the fact that you're selling 80% of your sales at that point outside of South Florida is massive. Right. And I was, I was, I was taken aback by that. And I know, and we've also talked about it a lot on this, uh, on this podcast is like the fact that people have told me several times, if you were to take your food, this like Cuban American thing, because I don't know, this kind of like change that we've tried to make in the Cuban American food movement, I guess you would say. If you were to take it outside of South Florida, you would you would fucking crush it. And I was like, yeah, that's cool, but to me it matters doing it here. You know, maybe one day doing it elsewhere, that's cool. But for me it's about like, you know, uh, setting the tone for our culture for the next generation, you know? But it's interesting when you were when you would introduce that elsewhere. You know, like when I went to Canada and I just talked to them about just random people like we were there only there for a few days and we just ate a bunch of fucking food and and just talked to them like yeah you know we have a cuban american place and i'm cuban and it was like wow it's like the craziest shit they had ever heard and i'm just like and it was like so are you like scarface like no get the fu-, you know no miami vice are you like miami vice yeah. <laughs> where's don johnson when you need him right <laughs> um but i actually think that that should be next year's christmas card us dressed up like miami vice <laughs> Right, I'll dress up like Don Johnson, though. I don't know. It's just a <laughs> shot in the dark. Just think about Throwing it. Throwing it out there. Think about it. We can send it to all of our former podcast guests. Uh, a Christmas card of us dressed up like Miami Vice. We'll smoke Ateli in the photo. Yeah, and we'll yeah we'll smoke all the Drew Estate things. All Drew Estate is my favorite cigar of all time. <laughs> so thanks to sponsor Drew Estate. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me some things other than cigars that you enjoy, man. Because, you know, like, my, my, I think the thing I, I fucking hate the most is when someone finds out, 
I'm a chef and they're like, oh my God, you must cook at home. And I'm like, nah, I don't cook at home. And then, and you know, it's just like, what's your favorite thing to cook? I'm like, I don't fucking know, man. Like I cook food, you know, and it, the, my, the flavor of the month changes every month. So I don't know. I could ch- change what I want to cook this month. The next month it changes. What do you enjoy other than, than this thing? You know, like, um, do you like jet skiing? I don't know. <laughs> Bro, any, anything outdoors, man. Give me the oh, yeah. outdoors. So I kind of divide my year up into two, right? I have two seasons. So when it's hot as shit here, it's uh, anything boating. So nine months out of the year. Yeah, pretty much, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, boating, fishing, diving, uh, anything outdoors, man. Give me anything in the water and, and, and I'm happy. You know, once we hit October till March, maybe April is a little bit cooler still. We, we hit the, we have some land up in central Florida. So we go, we have our camp set up. We have our ATVs over there. You know, I got my side side. My kids have their, their, their ATVs. My, uh, you know, we have a camp. We, uh, one, two, three, we got five trailers set up, lights, generators, showers. I mean, I guess some people will call it glamping. You know, yeah, cool. you got AC, you know what I mean? <laughs> Let me know. I'm, 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 sign me up. You know, I've, I've actually never been camping in my life, ever. Well, well, I mean, it's not really camping. I mean, it's camping because you're in, the, you're in the trailer, right? But you got TV, you got AC, you got lights, you got showers. You know what I'm saying? So, so it's like a hotel. You're, you're comfortable. <laughs> you're comfortable out there. <laughs> so you're not using, like, trees, right? You're, like, using toilet paper. No, 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 man. You're using wipes and shit, and you got to, you know, you got water, and you got real toilets and stuff. You figured, you've definitely figured it out. Yeah, hey, man. You, you got to be comfortable, bro. You yeah. Know, it, was too, it, it was too many nights that we we pitched a tent out in the Everglades, bro, and around 3.30, 4 in the morning, I would wake up because I was wet from being on the floor and the dew. It was just horrible, and I'd sleep in the truck. So I quickly learned <laughs> that that shit wasn't for me. Give me a trailer where I'm on a, a comfortable bed and, uh, and I got AC or a fan and I'm good. So, yeah, man, anything pretty much outdoors, bro. I love the outdoors. Uh, you know, I love the mountains. Um, so we go to the mountains a lot. We got a place up in, in, in Georgia, in Blue Ridge. So we go up there a lot and, you know, just just disconnect, man, and, and, and have a good time up there with the family uh friends um but that's pretty much it man give me outdoors man anything outside i'm happy yeah i i quickly learned that like this obviously the past year has absolutely sucked for everybody and so i i made it a point that um sometime throughout the year i i went to utah for i think it was like a week right it was like a week and i i went through a large like health change i lost like 160 pounds and you know the reason why I say that is because I had never hiked in my life, really. So I went hiking all throughout Utah, and it was fucking amazing. I went fly fishing. It was amazing. And I'm a terrible fisherman on a boat. Equally pretty bad fly fishing, but not as bad, I don't think. I actually caught fish that day. And um, it was just like, you know, that that connection to the outdoors is like, it is disconnecting. You know, it's like the that disconnect for however long it may be is so important to mental health and like just like and it actually makes you work harder when you actually get back to work and you get back on the grind like you have a clearer perspective so i think that's important you you recharge your batteries whether it's you know one day out on the water or a weekend you know whatever camping whatever it is you you just recharge your batteries you disconnect it and you come back to do whatever it is that you normally do even harder um 
you know, outside of that, man, just the family doing the doing things with the kids. You know, I'll pick up my my younger one uh, from school, and then I'll have the rods in the back of the truck. I'll have his clothes. He'll change in the car, and we hit up lakes and go. You know, do some bass fishing or whatnot. Um, you know, simple guy, man. Just uh, yeah, I like no, to I mean, eat. Oh yeah, tell me, tell me about that. Tell me about that. <laughs> I hear there's this really good place in the Grove that you should visit. They carry your cigars. I'm going to be going by there, man, for sure. For sure. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll connect, see when you're going to be around. I'm fucking here every day. <laughs> I'm, I'm here every day. That's for fucking sure. I might, if you're there on the weekends, I might drop on this weekend, man. Yeah, yeah. You let me know. I, I think um, it's interesting. People who enjoy cigars really like enjoy dining, too. And it's something I've definitely noticed. And I know I've smoked cigars for a long time in my life. But more and more, I learned that the people who like good cigars like good food and they like good booze. And it's just like a, it's a, it's another type of disconnection too. You know, it's like you know what's a disconnection for me too, bro. And it's relaxing shit. Cooking. God bless you. I, I, I love to cook. <laughs> uh, I don't know how to cook like you. It's very different. So I could follow a recipe. And that's what I do. You know, I'll print up random shit. I'm shocked by that. Coming by someone that creates cigars, I'm a little shocked that you actually follow the recipe. Well, because I'm not, when it comes to cooking, I'm not, um, what's the word? Jeez, uh, man, I, I can't think of the word now. Like, I just can't, I can't get creative mm -hmm. with cooking. I don't know, you know, what spice or what this or what that, but... I love to print recipes, whether it's, you know, Indian food, you know, Jamaican food, Cuban food, America, whatever it is, whatever I'm in the mood for, uh, that's what I'll make that day. And that's what I'll stuff down my kids' throats, whether they like it or not. That's what I yeah, felt I like, like that. eating that day. That's good. That's good. But you know, it's interesting. It's kind of like you were saying before, it, it doesn't need to necessarily be right. It just needs to be what you like. So like cooking... Oftentimes, I have to tell myself, like, I'm not just cooking for myself, right? It can't just be all the shit that I like, you know? And th I think that's part of the challenge of, of my job. It's just like, I can't just cook the shit that I like. I need to cook shit that other people like, too. So I, I have, like, the hardest thing for me in my career has been trying to translate the shit that I do to recipes that people can print out and then they could follow it's been a that has been a very difficult thing for me because everything is ah, it just needs a little bit more salt ah, it needs a little bit of this and it needs a little bit of that what if we add a little bit of that nah wait wait but let's cook it this way and let's try it that way and let's so that whole like evolution and like that off the cuff cooking stuff to me is the purest form and it is always the best but it's just hard to replicate it's so hard to replicate it's so hard to like well, it's hard to, you know, like, and we were talking about this before, right? Like, how how does the job work, in essence? Like, um, I can sit there uh, a, today and then a year from now open up a restaurant and I today can come up with a menu, right? But then how do I translate that menu to teach the people around me to do it if it's right now it's just on paper because it hasn't physically happened? And then when it physically happens, then how do you get them to do it the way that you would want to do it? And it's... It's probably the most challenging thing I've ever done in my career. It's like, you know, we have several locations. It's like, how do we upkeep the standard, the quality, and the thing throughout all of them and not physically always be the one behind the stove? 
which, you know, the chain to the stove has always been a stigma for every chef forever, you know. Um, it's a challenge. You know, it's a challenge. Because it, when people tell me, like, printing out a recipe and following that recipe, I'm always like, man, you follow the recipe. For my cooks, I'm like, you need to follow the recipe. But then for everyone else, I'm just kind of like, you really follow the recipe? I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. It's like, why didn't you just add another tomato or another this or another that? It's like, I don't know. That's just, for me, it was always a thing that excited me about food was the opportunity to kind of like fuck things up a bit, like uh, kind of create creation through destruction, which was, here's the thing, and there may be a recipe for it, but let's fuck this shit up and let's make it better. You know, that's... Maybe that's why people call me weird. I don't know. No, dude, let me tell you, man. There, so, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of correlation between that and, and what I do. The same thing, you know, because I'll create the blends, me sitting on the in the factory floor, you know. I grab, you know, a half a leaf of this one, a quarter leaf of that one. I put it in a certain place in the cigar. And then it's very hard, like you, to kind of make – get that message across to the buncher and say, no, 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 this is what I mean by a quarter leaf. And you grab it from here and you place it here and it has to be placed here in the cigar. And you rely on them doing it right when you're not there. You know what I mean? You got to sear that fish the right way. You got to roll that cigar the right way. It's, it's a, it's a fucking challenge, man. But I, I think when you oftentimes, like when, when you do what I call like, um, paint by numbers when it comes to food which is like it's just like one two three four and you have them follow that thing a lot of times it loses its soul and that's why i I believe no matter what your situation is if it's like a concept restaurant if it's like chef driven restaurant there needs to be talent in the room and part of part of my job is finding that talent nurturing that talent to understand like what a concept is or who i am or what the food should be and then getting them to believe in the thing so they could want to do it when you're not around. That's part of leadership. I think that's part of like teamwork. And it's, you know, you mentioned your son playing for Columbus and being part of a team like that, that thing, that learning from that all the way back to Columbus taught me so much fundamentally for life as a, as a grown up leader that it's fucking nuts, man. I, you wouldn't think about it when you're 15, right? And you're just a jit and you're just like, I just want to play football and like, you know, hook up with cheerleaders. God bless them. <laughs> but, but, you know, the, the, real, the reality is, is that like the shit that you're learning, especially the people that like he's learning from, like those are amazing coaches. A lot of those coaches were my coaches. Right. You know, and that's like amazing people that all they care about is like teaching these young kids fundamentals about leadership and just overall like life. They'll never see it now. They'll see it when they're my age. And they're like, fuck, man. I fucked off when I was 15 and I shouldn't have. You know? If I were to have a conversation with myself at 15, I think it would be a very a very deep conversation. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the only one, bro. Yeah, I know. 15 was, uh, was some crazy years, man. <laughs> I know. I know. What are you? How do you see the direction of like the cigar industry now? I know that I'm not like a... I'm not calling you a geek, Nick. A you, cig- you do I'm, what you want. Your name no, I'm not. Sandwich. I know my name's on the sandwich. I, you know, like I'm not a cigar enthusiast like Nick that knows all the things like Nick does. Oh, wait, relax. But a lot of things I hear are like 
kind of negative, right? Of like the direction of like where the industry is going as a whole because of, I don't know, restrictions or where, where, whatever it may be. What do you see the future of the cigar industry being? I definitely see it growing, right? Um, but at the same time, you, you, you're, you're in a constant battle. Um, you know, there, there's always restrictions that you got to deal with. Um, and you just try to work around it the best way you do to still create the things that you love to create and create the things that you like to smoke that you, you know, other people are going to like to smoke as well. Uh, I think it's a growing industry. Um, I think, you know, I think we're in a new, another boom, um, similar to the boom, you know, back in the day. Uh, I think there's a boom now and, you know, social media has a big part to do with that, you know, getting the word out, getting people interested in cigars, you know, uh, people seeing more people smoke. So they get intrigued. You know, I mean, it happened to me with, with the, uh, the contractor that was working here in my house, you know, he, uh, he has, you know, other businesses and, uh, one of those businesses is a vape shop, <clears throat> but where he lives, you know, he goes out walking his, his dogs and whatnot every night. He would see people smoking and he, it intrigued him. So, Dude, by the time he was done with the project here in my house, I had him smoking a cigar every day. And yeah. so it, it just goes, it goes evolving. And, you know, now I'm sure his buddy will see him smoking. He'll introduce him to a cigar and it just continues to grow and grow. And then we have the whole social media thing going on, uh, like, like this podcast now. You know, somebody maybe that's never smoked a cigar is listening in. He's like, man, you know what? I'm going to try a Drew Estate and, and let me see what they have. So they go to the local tobacconist and say hey man look i've never smoked a cigar what do you recommend and then a good tobacconist is is gonna say okay we have this this and this is something that is not gonna turn you off it's not gonna make you throw up it's not gonna you know deter you from a a good experience with a cigar and it just continues to grow from there man uh i definitely see it something that's growing and something that's is it's evolving you know it's evolving you got new tobaccos coming out you have hybrid seeds and hybrid tobaccos coming out uh new stuff that you're introducing to the marketplace um and you know you just get as creative as you as you can uh within the guidelines that the government puts you know puts on us man you know it's uh it's a tough battle but uh you know we're gonna keep fighting it um, Willie, just uh, now that we're kind of back in the cigar thing, I want to ask a question that's a little bit, a little bit cigars and a little bit not. We touched on the fact that you had moved to Nicaragua, and of course, you know, that's where Drew Estate does its manufacturing and all that. That's not a, a heavy tourist destination like a lot of other places, especially Esteli. Talk a bit about what life is like in Esteli for you, but also just what is that town And one of the things that I was always fascinated by, because when I when I started at Cigar Snob, it was 2013. So a lot of the transformation of that city was already kind of underway. But talk about the role that the cigar industry plays in that town and how it's transformed lives. Because I, I think that's something that even a lot of very frequent smokers are very disconnected from. Uh, so just talk about that. Like, what is what is Esteli? What is it like there? And what was your experience like having to kind of adjust to it a little bit? 
my experience when I moved over there, you know, like many people, when they go first time to a third world country, it, it, it was shocking, you know, because it's, it's something you're not used to. It's something so different from what you have seen all your life. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, man, for the first, I don't know, three, four, five for, uh, months of going down there, I would get depressed because, you know, obviously, you know, you know, the kids aren't all wearing shoes. There's a lot of kids that were, that were barefoot. There was a lot of little babies, you know, sitting in the ground in the dirt, playing with a rock in diapers, um, you know, kicking around a ball that had no leather around it. And it was just basically like a balloon. And so it wasn't until I figured out that these people there were happier than I was in the States and happier than my kids were in the States because for one, they didn't know any better. They didn't know the other side, you know, what they were missing. Uh, but it's just so pure over there, you know. The, they're genuine. They're welcoming. You, you, you know, you, what you see is what you get. Um, and once I figured out, man, those people were happier than I was, man. It, it, it was a whole, I viewed everything totally different. Uh, that depression just went away. You know, I was happy to get there, you know, to this day. And I've stayed in, in thousands of hotels. I've been in the fanciest of the fanciest. And I, I don't sleep as good in any of them as I do when I'm in the, in the factory in the garage. You know, I don't know if it's the mountain. I don't know if it's the air. I, I don't know what it is. But being there, it, and my wife will tell you, I took her for the first time maybe like two years ago. And she was just blown away. She fell in love with it. In her mind, she was thinking, oh, my God, all this poverty and this and that. And she loved it. She loved it. And, you know, she goes back with me every year. And, you know, it's just it's just an amazing country, man. It's an amazing country, amazing people, amazing culture, amazing history. Everything about it, it's just unbelievable. And when it comes to cigars, man, particularly in, in Esteli, you know, it's probably close to about 80% of the people that live there have something to do with tobacco, whether it's working out in the fields, whether it's in, in, in packaging, whether it's in pre-industry, whether it's making cigars. 80% of the people, in many cases, the husband, the wife, and their child, their oldest, are working in a factory. Uh, many, many times, siblings are both working in factories, if not the same factory. Um, so it's it's a huge part of their livelihood, man. And because of the tobacco industry, you know, there as big as as it is now, and how how it's grown there, you see it in the businesses. You see it in Italy. I mean, the, I was the last time I was, I was there was in March before this whole thing happened. And going back 10 years, dude, the amount of restaurants in Esteli, the amount of businesses in Esteli, the amount of people uh, with, with, with vehicles, you know, not riding bicycles, whether it's, a, it's a, a scooter or a car, it's night and day. And that's all been a part of the cigar industry there. You know, people are able to advance. A lot of people put up businesses, you know, little businesses here and there and it's just it's just grown dramatically and it's all because of tobacco and the amount of people that go to the country and visit 
Nicaragua and Esteli in specific to to visit these factories. Um, and you know now they're buying, they're eating in the restaurants, they're buying clothes, they're buying artifacts, they're buying this knickknacks or whatnot. So the 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 city is it's it's, it's a different city compared to when I uh, when I started going down there. I hear Nick's going to take us there. That's what I heard. That Pongo podcast was uh, going to partner up, and they were going to take us all to Esteli. We're gonna, we're, we'll, we'll negotiate a, a safari in Drew Estate's renewal. Oh, that's right, a safari. <laughs> we'll make yeah. it happen, man. We'll make it. We'll have our own safari. There yeah, you go. That's that. That's a dangerous proposition, but I'm I'm oh. I'm okay with that. That's the kind of thing I'm down for. Uh, What's just, just, what? sorry? Just to throw in an, an Esteli food-related question. Uh, of course, eating an Esteli, people who are in Miami realize. It's a lot of churraco if you're if you're a tourist in Italy, you know. Uh, but two the, the Coconut Grove motorcycle people. That wasn't a motorcycle, uh, it was a shitty Lexus. Was it? Yeah. Uh, so two two part question and then I'll 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 step out for a bit again. Uh, what has your experience been acclimating, if at all, to food in Nicaragua? Like the Nicaraguan food? And then second part El Rincón Pinareño in Esteli. Where would you, if that restaurant, if you plucked it out of Esteli and put it in Miami, where would it rank? Like better than this, but worse than that. Oh, man. El, El Rincón Pinareño, by the way, is a Cuban restaurant in Esteli. Sounds like my, my people. It's the best palomilla that I've had in a, my most memorable palomilla. Oh, yeah? Yeah. All right. Well, listen, I've, I haven't been to many Cuban restaurants in Miami outside of the norm. You got Carreta, you got Versailles, uh, maybe one other one. I, I can't even think of the name, uh, but it blows them out of the water. Those two, which are the only ones that I've been to uh, in Miami. I'm sure there's others in Miami. But for me, Cuban food, I just, you know, I make it at home. Uh, or my mom makes it or my aunt makes it so I, I have no need to go out to a Cuban place when I could have it made at home you know, I, want ra- I want ramen I make it at the house I want oh, ramen yeah. I make it at the house I want baca frita I make it at the house so there, there's really no need for me to go out to a Cuban restaurant unless you know uh, I, I'm in a rush or I'm on the way home and the kids are starving because I just picked them up from practice or whatever and they will stop and eat you know or something, you know what I mean? Oh, Casabana would be another one. Oh, yeah. But for me, Cuban, uh, the, that place, uh, Rico Pinareño, dude, it's, it's just unbelievable there. Now, as far as uh, uh, Nicaraguan food, dude, but, but, but the, the first forkful that I had of it, I was like, man, this is beautiful. This is, I'm all in, man. Give me a knock on the mud 24 hours a day. <laughs> So na- nakatamal, nakatamal is the Nicaraguan take on the tamal, which uh-huh. is a little very, very different from the Cuban tamal. It's a tamal on steroids, man. That's oh, what like a, that. that's what a nakatamal is. So you got you got imagine a, a tamal, right? Now you stuff the inside of that with rice, with onions, with tomato and pork and chicken. Sounds like a burrito. All inside that. Thing. Is that a sandwich? It's unbelievable. No, it's. it's, it's I'm just kidding. Like I'm a, kidding. I'm fucking with you. Uh, on, on steroids, bro. That thing is just fire, man. And then if you have it for breakfast, you put two fried eggs over it. Money. Oh man, that sounds fucking amazing. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Does anyone do that here? 
Nicaraguan food? I mean, Nicaraguan food? Somebody, yeah, somebody well, must. What he know, just talked about. But I don't know about Nicaraguan breakfast. Somebody must have nacatamales in Miami. We'll find the nacatamal. We'll do a little a little road trip. Yeah. I like that. Hey, hey listen, I'm sure if you go down to Sweetwater, you'll find it there. Yeah. Is that where all of them are? That's, that's where, where all the Nicas are. N- Nicaraguan restaurants yeah, are? That's that's Belentown. Men for others are surrounded by, by Nicas. Oh, are they? Oh, yeah. Men for others. Um, you you definitely took my question. I was going to talk about the food there, and then you just totally like you know you put yourself in there, and you just took all the fucking thunder. So now I have no follow up question here because Nick fucking took my question, and now we're we're at a, a weird silence point. Nice work, Nick. It's fucking good. Adelante. Well, hey man, I think you should work on or not. You know, I will. I will for our uh, whatever dinner we do with Drew Estate. Yeah, no, we'll do a dinner with Drew Estate and we'll do that. I have no idea what I'm just dedicating myself to, but it sounds like a like a good idea. I think you must have a Nika in the kitchen somewhere. I don't. Oh, yeah, not not one. I can't even remember the last time I had Nika down with food. Oh man, I just I, I don't know. I can't I can't actually put a nope nope. We gotta go. I have a I have a fritanga by my house called La Hormiga oh, de yeah. Oro. <laughs> That's right. Which is the best name for a restaurant I've ever heard. The Golden Ant, La Hormiga. That's on Flagler and 102nd, no? Well, dude, I think there's another one. Uh, I believe that's the name off of Flagler, right across from. Um, I think there's a Denny's there. There's a I think a CC's Pizza there. CC's Pizza. Man, I haven't heard while, that shit. While you guys are talking, the research department will look up the other one. Oh, the research. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll phone them in. Oh, man. Nakatamal. So that's the, the next conquest for me is the Nakatamal. Got it. Got it. And it's a breakfast item. Make it happen, item. bro. It could be a brunch item. It could be a brunch item. Uh, I think we could start to wind things down a bit. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is where we do our wind down. We that's start my, with the DNLs. With oh, the D, you're committed to the DNL. The no, DNL, that's gonna. No, this is a, a new segment that Mike introduced uh, a couple of episodes ago called DNL, which stands for Do Not Like. Yeah, I don't know if everybody else is ready, but uh, this is where at least Mike and if the rest of us have things, Mike tells us things that he did not like. The last time I offered a DNL, Simon Kim shot me down. Simon Kim told me it was inappropriate for this podcast because it was too political. What was your DNL? Uh, it was uh, presidential inauguration ceremonies and all the. Oh, that's right. It was too political. Can you give me a too DNL political. about something that you ate that you didn't like? I'll you go first, and I'll come up with a thing I didn't like. Oh, I, the me first. Huh? Okay, so I tried watching a show called uh, Spycraft on Netflix, and I did not like it. I actually I went into that show because I watched another show that I don't fucking remember the name of. It was a, actually a documentary on Amazon. About like a cyber spy thing or whatever. It was it was great. So I was like, let me go into the show. It'll be the same thing. And man, it was just a big snoozer. I fell asleep seven times in like 30 minutes. And I was like, I'm fucking done with this shit. Right. So that's my do not like for the week. My my, I just thought of my do not like. Go, oh, good. I uh, lit a bond. I lit, a, lit my fire pit in my backyard. Okay. My sister showed up with a bag of sharp cheddar double crunch ruffles. That sounds delicious. Did not like. No. No, the cheese flavor was way off. If you like, I'm a big fan of like Cheetos. Yeah, Cheetos are great. Love Cheetos. These were not good. 
If you like the cheesiness of Cheetos, this was a weird cheese. Did not like double crunch cheddar ruffles. Do you like Funyuns? Love Funyuns. I, I can eat. There it is. Willie loves Funyuns. So that's good. So Willie, what I, what did you recently not like? Or it doesn't have to be recent. It could be, it could just, uh, it could be something know. a grudge you've held for a long time. <laughs> Damn. Well, I know there's been a ton of movies that I've watched. But oh, yeah. I'll tell you, I t- I'll tell you what really pissed me off and I did not like was staying up all night for that McGregor fight on Saturday. Oh, oh. yeah, he looked good, huh? Everyone that loves McGregor, he looked solid. <laughs> Got his fucking shit kicked in that guy. That 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 was upsetting, man. And I was falling asleep leading up with all the prelims and this and that, and finally here comes the fight, and I'm like, what? What just happened? <laughs> so. It was uh, he. He wasn't checking those leg kicks, man. The leg kicks were the story of the fight. The, by the oh, well, end, he left on a crutch. Yeah, the crutch could be staged, but he didn't. He just let Poirier kick the fuck out of his calf, and by the second round, he was walking around like he had one leg. It was it was stupid. It was very disappointing from a fight fan perspective. Uh, but I mean, you know, but then on on another level, I mean, it was an unexpected element there too. Yeah. What I equal another DNL I didn't like is the fact that we're still living under a curfew and I couldn't show that fight, so we couldn't have actually a good night at any of my bars because we couldn't show the fight because we have because the coronavirus apparently doesn't exist after midnight. So um, DNL, uh, the city of Miami's politicians, and that's been your DNL. <laughs> for, okay, and now our parting recommendations, where everybody recommends a thing that they think you should. Right. Watch or read or eat or literally anything. Willie, we're going to let you go first if you have a recommendation or you can pass it off to somebody else. But if if you have a recommendation, uh, let us know. What is the thing you would recommend our listeners to our listeners? Oh, dude, I recommend everybody at least once in their life to have a mame shake. <laughs> I have my mate tattooed on my arm. I, it's like that's show my favorite. People, show it to Willie. Show, my, show, show Willie or my mate. There it is, huh? Yeah, he's there. Bro, listen. When you want to get blown away and you have some time, drive down to Chrome Avenue and One Five Six Street. There's, you know how? Have you ever been by Chrome? No, not not lately. But yeah, I've been there. Right. Yeah, I've has been there. A bunch of these—they're uh, not restaurants. Uh, I guess you could call them fruterias. Yeah, like little fruterias. I actually think I have been there recently when I went to uh, the mechanic, right? But yeah, so yeah, yeah, I have. This yeah, place have. is called uh, By Brothers. I think it's on One Fifty Six, bro. And get them a May shake. You have to eat it with a spoon. Oh, I love that. It's unbelievable. On it'll change your life. Oh man, we're we're so this is so happening for me. Mame is my favorite fruit on the planet. Like I'm, I I'm so I'm so game for this right now. So game. It'll change your life. I'll meet you there, bro. Parting recommendation. Uh, so I watched a movie that it was. It's not like this would not be everyone's favorite movie. Uh, it was slower but it was great acting chadwick boseman's in it viola davis it's that one uh ma rainey's i gotta look up the exact name but it's on it's on netflix and um it was just really well done um ma rainey's 
Ma Rainey's Black Bottom on on Netflix. Extremely well done. Not a happy movie. If you're not in a good mood, don't watch it. But I just I thought it was like incredibly well done, and I would watch it again. Uh, so my recommendation is one that we, Mike, you and I already established this would be my parting recommendation. It is a YouTube channel called Penguins, with a Z at the end, P-E-N-G-U-I-N-Z, and then a zero. Penguins, with a Z, zero. And it's a lot of shitty infomercials dubbed over. Oh, yeah. That's right. Including for the Edge of Glory knife sharpener. That was so good. And it's so good. I'm sorry, Willie, that you won't benefit from this. I'll I'll I'll, send it to him. I'll send send it to to you and also cut it in here with the power of our podcast editing technology. Yeah. Uh, But the Penguins Zero Edge of Glory knife sharpener uh, dub of, of that infomercial is fantastic. It'll change your life. It's a huge value for $10.99, asshole. If this deal doesn't put you on the edge of your seat, then you are on the edge of bullshit. Absolutely. Change your life. This is where we do our shameless plugs. Willie, uh, go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you online, uh, your Instagram, websites, or whatever stuff you want. You know, shameless, like, tell people all the stuff. So, uh, DrewEstate.com, you'll see there all the, uh, you know, different lines, different uh, events we, we have, whether it's the virtual events or when we start up the, uh, the barn smokers, uh, the, when we start up the cigar safaris again, um, DrewEstate.com. And then as far as, you know, stuff that I'm posting when I'm in the factory, uh, when I'm out in the fields, uh, or I'm out fishing with the fam, or I'm out getting muddy, stuck in a pothole somewhere, is uh, at Herrera Esteli, just like the cigar, all one word. And uh, that's pretty much it, man. I'm not big on social media, man. I have a Facebook. It's also at Herrera Esteli. Um, Or no, there's no at when it comes to Facebook. It's just Herrera Esteli. Um, But it's mainly Instagram. Mike? All the things. I still got to recommend all my shit. I mean, we've, been, yeah, we've done this 80 do times you already. You do nah, it's whatever. Yeah, all the things. At this point, just all the things. All right. So you can find Bang Gong Podcast on all of the social media things. That's at Bang Gong Podcast. It's a podcast sandwich. Uh, my can, name's on that sandwich. Your name is on the sandwich. That's how everybody knows you're the boss oh, around here. I do oh. have a shout out. Oh, here we go. I have a shout out for our uh, former guest, Dave Arvello. Uh-huh. He made this Sade shirt for me. Uh, we're considering starting a company just selling Sade t-shirts, and um, I think it's great. There you go. There you go. Uh, so Sade coming soon to Pig and Caparel. Uh, a special collabo with Dave Arvello. Uh, so, and then finally, if you are a Patreon subscriber, you will hear after this point, the lightning right. round. You're going to do five questions for Willie? I'm going to try, man. Yeah, the, the, usual, the usual silliness. Yeah, just fucking... It's going to be five lightning round questions for Willie. Willie is not going to know what these questions are. Right. Otherwise, ladies and gentlemen, thank you, Willie, for joining us on Pancom Podcast. Thank you, Mike, for Nothing. whatever it is you did around here and your not Saturday a, shirt. Not a fucking thing. Uh, and here we go. Five questions with Willie Herrera. If Starting you're giving us all your money. now. Bang, bang, bang.